Crazy Cooter coming at you. Hey, y'all, it's Ben Jones, also known as Cooter from the Dukes of Hazard. And hang around, because I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome once again to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 223 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week, Ben Jones is going to be joining us. That's right, Cooter Davenport from the Dukes of Hazards will be joining us. He's going to give us all kinds of information about the show and an upcoming reunion of the cast members at the Hazard Homecoming. And he's going to give us all that information. It's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, so I hope you're going to stick around for that. And let's see, last week, just as we went to press, we had another passing in the entertainment world, Celeste Holmes who is an Academy Award-winning actress, passed away just before we went on the air. So uh, we want to keep her in our minds. And if you have a suggestion for a guest here at On Screen and Beyond, email it to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and we'll see what we can do about getting it on for you. Next, Remake Madness, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, the remake of Godzilla, which has been talked about on and off, has officially been announced, and it will come your way in 2014. Home Alone director Chris Columbus will remake a 60s horror magazine, Creepy, into an anthology movie similar to Tales of the Crypt. And the remake of Fantastic Four, uh, it's moving along. It's going to be under the direction of Josh Trank, who directed Chronicle earlier this year. That's it for Remake Madness coming up next on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies. Emma Roberts and Jennifer Aniston will star in Where the Millers. It's a comedy about a drug dealer using a fake family to smuggle drugs into the U.S. You can catch that one next year in 2013. And Daniel Radcliffe will star in a supernatural fantasy thriller called Horns, where he plays a man who's growing horns on his head. And Harrison Ford will star in the story of the signing of Jackie Robinson uh, to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Ford will play Branch Rickey, who was uh, the team executive who did that. That's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we are going to take a peek at sequels as we head down to Sequel City to bring you those right here on On Screen and Beyond. Sequel City, well, on October 26th, Silent Hill Revelation 3D continues to tell the story of what's going on up in the hill, and it stars Malcolm McDowell and Carrie Ann Moss. Ben Kingsley will play the villain Mandarin in Iron Man 3, and the sequel to Captain America will be called Captain America, The Winter Soldier. That is it. For Sequel City, coming up next on All Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as TV on DVD, and it's next, right here on On Screen and Beyond.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV on DVD, well, November 20th, Game of Thrones, the complete first season collector's edition on Blu-ray with HBO Select is going to be coming your way, and it's going to have a lot of extra features. The third season of Dave's World is available on July 24th, and the first season of Magic City will hit stores on October 2nd in a three-disc set. That is it on TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we are going to take a walk and see what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD, it's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> movies on DVD, well, it's just come out in theaters, and The Dark Knight Rises will arrive on DVD and Blu-ray in December. Pixar's Brave will be available in November, and also look for Magic Mike to shake up stores in November on DVD and Blu-ray. They'll be coming your way at that time. That is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we have a guest that's going to be telling us a whole lot of stuff about the Hazard Homecoming that's coming up, and he's going to let us know about the cast reunion, and uh, Cooter's coming. That's right, Ben Jones. Ben has had quite a career. He's, of course, been Cooter on the uh, TV show The Dukes of Hazards, and after that, he actually became a U.S. congressman, and he spent some time there. So uh, we've got to talk about all that stuff. So uh, Ben's a great guy to talk to, and he's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest has served as a member of the United States House of Representatives, but he will forever be remembered as Cooter on the hit TV show, The Dukes of Hazard. It's Ben Jones. Ben, it is such a pleasure to have you joining us here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, Brian, thanks for having me on. And you mentioned my political career, and I did serve a couple of terms in Congress after The Dukes of Hazard. Right. At my line now, I got redistricted, but I tell people now that I left politics because of illness. The, the voters got sick of me. <laughs> Anyhow, that that was a that was a whole other role for me that I played for four years. But, right? Who would have thought that an actor would become a politician? <laughs> well, right. Well, I, uh, you know, of course, Ronald Reagan right. set the set the record on that one. But when I was there, I was greeted uh, by a fellow that had been elected two years before me, whom I had worked with in a movie back in the seventies. A guy named Fred Grandy, who went on to be oh, yes. on the love boat. He right. played Gopher and uh, was elected to Congress from the state of Iowa. So right. Cooter yeah. and Gopher were congressmen at the same time, which might be a good answer to a trivia question sometime. Yeah. Now, how was it at the House of Representatives? You're, there you are, congressman, and the two of you are there. Do people tend to recognize you as the character or did they be very straight-laced and be very political about it how did that work well, for me i you know the character i played was 
I created the character and gave it my mannerisms and basically rewrote most of the dialogue and created an improvised dialogue on my own. So the character is very close to me. So in Congress, I look like Cooter with a coat and tie on. And, uh, of course, it was very serious work, and I right. took it yes. seriously, and people came in with serious problems that we tried to solve or address. But, you know, what I found out was that I was very popular with my colleagues because when their constituents came to visit them in Washington, they didn't take them to see, you know, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee. Or, <laughs> they brought them by to see Cooter, <laughs> whom everybody knew, and we'd been part of their family for years. Right. And, uh, so it, it uh, stood me in good stead, I think. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy being a politician? There were things about it that I loved. I loved the job. It, it was very challenging and very frustrating, of course. I'm sure, yeah. You know, there's not a whole lot you can really get done. You can't change the world, but you can sort of put in your two cents worth on how your constituents feel. And what I focused on was the constituent work. You know, every congressman represents, well, then it was about 600,000 people. Mm-hmm. And they're, 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 I said, well, our job is to advocate for them in all of their dealings with the federal government. Of course, there were other jobs, too, and you had to take positions that a lot of times, you know, a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. But the big job was getting things done for the people, and um, we're very proud of that. And I think that's really what got me reelected, because I was a Democrat in a Republican district and kind of got elected by an exceptional circumstance. My, uh, there was an asterisk next to my name because my opponent had been indicted. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> but I did get reelected on my own, and I think it was because of the people could tell that I really cared about the constituents and, you know, and, and getting their problems with the federal government solved on their behalf. Yeah. yeah. So it was all good. And I was in Congress at an extraordinary time. The Cold War ended. And the entire world changed, and I got to see that up close. And was uh, you know, I took a pickaxe to the Berlin Wall and saw wow. all of those Eastern European status communist societies go, you know, in very quick order to democratic free market uh, countries, and was a part of that transition myself and being there. And uh, also, it's when the uh, first uh, Gulf War happened, the Desert Storm operation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was over for that. Things happened during those years. Yeah. So, uh, it was a thrilling time and tough work, but, uh, and there were parts of it that I hated. I hated asking anybody for money, and mm-hmm. that's so much a part of the political Right. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you got to have it in order to get, to yeah. get in. Yeah. yeah. What was tougher, acting or being a politician? Well, sometimes, to tell you the truth, Brian, I couldn't hardly tell the difference. <laughs> I, I, I think I was, you know, I, I discovered very quickly that there are a whole lot of actors in the political profession, a whole lot of performers, certainly. <laughs> and it's true in a lot of professions when you think about it. Yeah. Lawyers yeah. and uh, uh, a lot of a lot of TV preachers and so on, they're, they're performers. Right. And, uh, so, uh, but I'd have to say, I loved acting. Acting came naturally to me. I loved it. I studied it. I threw myself at it. And, um, and you know, I had no background in politics. I'd never been on a city council or, uh, you know, a state legislature or anything like that. Yeah. I just sort of came to it purely as a citizen. What made you decide to do that? What, you know, what brought well, you to Well, it was that? a couple of things. One, I'd always had an interest in 
politics and government and history. From, from I grew up uh, in, in Tidewater, Virginia, where sort of the nation, you know, was founded, Jamestown and Williamsburg mm-hmm. and yep. Yorktown and the Revolutionary War and near where Washington and Jefferson had lived and, and um, battles of the war between the states, the, the Civil War had been fought there. So I had this great interest in history and politics. And um, during the 60s, I was a college student in North Carolina, and I got involved in the Civil Rights Movement. And I saw how a group of people, a small group of people, really, with, with uh, courage, the courage to you know, risk their lives, really, in some cases, could make a major change by, by bringing a, a message that challenged the moral consciousness of a nation. But I saw how it worked. I saw how people had to be committed and had to stick it out there for what they felt was right. Mm-hmm. And later on, you know, when I'd gotten through, uh, uh, when I did the Dukes of Hazard, I've been an actor, working actor for a long time at that point, you know, about uh, more than 15 years, I guess. So mm-hmm. I was one of those overnight sensations that <laughs> made a lot of dues. But while I was doing the Dukes of Hazard, it was such an incredibly popular show, and oh, still yeah. is. That you know, people like the fellow running for governor asked me to come to a barbecue and speak on his behalf, and I saw that I and and President Carter in 1980 asked me to help him campaign, so I did a little bit of that, and and I found I had a knack for it. Mm-hmm. When the Dukes of Hazard ended in in 1985, uh, I was still doing things. I was singing with a little band and. And I had uh, doing some commercials and things like that and working on a couple of writing projects. But nobody was going to run against the incumbent congressman in the district where I lived. So nobody, I mean, it was being conceded to him. He was a first-term congressman. My, to my, uh, from my point of view, he was in extreme sort of, uh, took extreme positions. But yet he uh, was thought to have a great future, and nobody was going to run against him. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what's the point of having an election if you only have one name on the ballot? Mm-hmm. What's True. the point of even of having a democracy? You have to have that. Just politics and, and ideas are just like business. You, competition makes it work better. And uh, so I decided, well, it felt like the right thing to do, so I ran. And on a shoestring, I almost beat this invulnerable uh, politician. Mm-hmm. So I stayed after it, and two years later I was elected. And two years after that I was uh, reelected, And two years after that I got redistricted. So that was pretty much it for me in politics. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now how about acting? What made you decide to become an actor? When you were young, is that something you, you wanted to do? Well, no, I... I, I I wanted to be a writer and a, 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 a film director, things like that. I, I, I ended up at the University of North Carolina just serendipitously, really, very fortunate to get such great school, to study radio, television, and motion pictures and uh, what, what are now called communication departments, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. And there was this girl I knew and, and really liked who was in this play. And uh, a director one night corners me about three o'clock in the morning in this all-night dive and says, "Hey, why don't you why don't you come do a part for me in this play?" 
And the girl was in the show, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do that, sure. <laughs> you know, well, I, I didn't get the girl, but I got a profession. I got a career out of it. Yeah. You know, and, the, the and, last three or four people I've interviewed have said they got into acting because of the girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls have, have, have been a big influence on my life in a lot of different ways. Um, but anyhow, within a few months, I actually was starting to make a little money at it. So... Uh, Fell in love with it and pursued it, you know, through thick and thin uh, for many years. And in the late 60s, I went down to Atlanta, which was just a, starting to boom at that point in time, and found I could make a living there in commercials and on stage and occasionally doing film work. And so when the Dukes of Hazard came along, I was just in the right place at the right time. I'd been in a film called The Moon Runners, mm-hmm. yeah. which was a low-budget thing. Directed and produced and written by a fellow I knew, a local TV director there named Guy Waldron, and it was a low-budget thing. But he got it. He got it produced and distributed, and uh, it was basically uh, the Dukes of Hazard in a very rough independent film. Uh, but Waylon Jennings did the music for it and the soundtrack. Wow! And uh, Jim Mitchum, Robert Mitchum's son. Uh, played in it. It was sort of a moonshine movie, but it was the Dukes of Hazard. That's what it was. And a couple of years later, Guy went. Guy Waldron went out to Hollywood, developed that uh, film idea into a television series called The Dukes of Hazard. Pitched it to Warner Brothers. They liked it, and they sold it to CBS. Then they came back to Georgia in the fall of 1978 to do the pilot, basically five episodes of this new show. And at that time, you know, Smokey and the Bandit had just been a huge hit movie. Right, and you were in that, weren't you? I had a tiny little part in it. Yeah, I know people have seen that movie 20 times and haven't even noticed I was in it. (laughs) Yeah. But, Brian, every once in a while, I still get a little check for the 18th Lithuanian rerun or whatever for $2.19. Over the years, it's paid off pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Three words in it. And I figure over the years I've made about $8,000 a word. Hmm. But, anyhow, but that was going big. And then, you know, uh, Willie and Waylon were really the rage in terms of music. And right. Jimmy Carter was the president of the United States. So there was a whole lot of interest in the South and in the new Southern culture and the old Southern culture, too, for that matter. So the thing just took off. It came on the air in January of 1979. And within a few weeks, it was right at the top of the Nielsen ratings, number one show on yeah. television, Jeez. and stayed there for years. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it, it's hard to have more fun when you're making money than we had. It was a great, it was just fun. It was like playing cowboys and Indians in the backyard when you're a little kid. That's mm-hmm. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only, and, and, and it was just like doing, to me, it was much like one of the old westerns that I loved when I was a kid. Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, the Saturday morning matinees, you know, where the the, the good guys won and nobody really got hurt. Right. You, know, you could fall off a cliff and have a stagecoach land on top of you. And you wouldn't, you know, just brush yourself off. Right. Nobody bled. Nobody cussed. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were always, there was a lot of slapstick comedy. And, and that never gets old. And um, good-looking rancher's daughter. In this case, it was Daisy Duke. Mm-hmm. So what, that's sort of what we were doing with cars instead of horses. And of course, Bo and Luke would have been Gene and Roy. Right. And, yeah. 
Daisy was a beautiful, fetching rancher's daughter. But, and it was about a family. And I was sort of the sidekick, sometimes the comic sidekick, but always the guy who was there to help you get out of trouble. Yeah. And, of course, Boss Hogg and, and Roscoe were the, you know, the evil banker and his henchmen. Yep. But it was all comedy. And in the end, nobody got hurt, and the good guys won. And, and the, But the most important thing to me was that the, the Duke boys despite the fact that we were sort of the outlaws. It was Robin Hood in that way, but where the good guys were the outlaws because the law there was corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Tom and, you know, Bo and Luke Duke always made the right moral choice. They always did the right thing under any circumstances, no matter what the sacrifice might be. And I think that with all those ingredients, the great music, uh, the great country music, and the best action ever filmed for television, and these great-looking kids, you know, Tom and John and Kathy. And, the, you know, the slapstick comedy, once again, with, with Sorrel Book and Jimmy Bass. It never gets old. Mm. Uh, and those, it's a tried phrase, but those family values, you know, where people try to do the right thing, look out for one another, give you the shirt off their back. Uh, very old-fashioned show, but it it's it's still going strong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and the cast, you all just blended so well together. I mean, I don't know if in real life you were, but it, on screen it just seemed to, to blend together so well. Well, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but we were family. We, we, when you work with each other, you know, for seven years on, on an extraordinarily successful show, uh, you become very close. Yeah. You share that experience, and it's a very exciting experience. It was fun, a fun experience. It was kind of like high school, really, yeah. without having to do the homework or the exams. Yeah. We, it, it was that kind of fun. And uh, over the years, although we were very different personalities, we learned to respect each other and look out for each other's back. And over the years, you know, we've lost a couple of cast members, but... Mm-hmm. It's amazing, you know. Uh, Kathy right now is working on a film, and she's in a Young and the Restless. She's guest starring in that. Mm-hmm. And John and Tom have both had great Nashville careers yeah. and Hollywood careers and Broadway careers, and continue to uh, to do a whole lot of different projects. Yeah. And the others of us have had very varied lives and done a lot of things. Jimmy Best has just written a book. He's just produced and directed a film. Yeah, the, the sequel to... The Killer Shrews, Shrews, I think. Yeah, yeah, the sequel to that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we do these things. In fact, this past weekend, I was in uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, gigantic Mopar show, 50,000 people there. And Catherine Bach and I were there, and there was a line to see us. And this is 104 degrees, Brian. Wow. It was at the height of the seat wave. And there were people outside in that weather for, I don't know, a quarter of a mile, hundreds of people in line waiting to see us. And it took hours and hours and hours. How does that, how does that make you feel? I, I, I just can't imagine it. <laughs> well, it's humbling and astonishing at the same time. Yeah. Because, you know, I always contend that the most important part of any show isn't the actors or the director or the writers or producers. The most important important part of the show is the audience if you don't have an audience what's the point of having the show mm-hmm. and our audience just takes us as family they they related to us and generation after generation as kids come along they take to this show 
So it, it, it has legs, as we say in show business. It keeps on going. It's, it's durable. And it's uh, still a hit show right now. You know, it's, you don't see it show up on the ratings. We fly under the radar. But mm-hmm. what it is is DVDs, oh, yeah. the Internet, VHS, TiVo, satellite dishes, all of those things. You know, it's actually, I believe, being watched more now than it was when it was a mega hit on Friday nights back Jeez. in the 80s. Yeah. Because now these kids watch it, you know, they've got the DVDs, they watch it whenever they Classic, want. Classic, right, yeah, yeah. So it, it, that part of it, you know, it's the audience, it, it's just, it's a great blessing to have this kind of show that would last this long, continue to be popular, that people would continue to have this kind of gratitude for what we did. We should be the ones grateful to them for keeping it going this long. Yeah. It's a phenomenal thing, really. It's not like some old cult thing. Right, oh yeah. It's now. It's not this, this was a good show. It's This is a good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're very fortunate that way. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And, uh, Which leads us to the upcoming reunion, right? Of uh, the Hazard homecoming, Hazard Homecoming. Yeah, Hazard Homecoming. Can Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. About uh, almost fifteen years ago, now I had this crazy idea of starting a little store up here in the Blue Ridge Mountains where we live, and I had uh, all this old Dukes of Hazard stuff in the barn, you know, costumes and scripts. You got to keep a lot. And, and pictures. Pardon me? You got to keep a lot of those things? Yeah, yeah, picked it up over the years, you know, just uh, a few props, all the old costumes and the scripts, but a lot of pictures from the show, a lot of memorabilia from the show, and there, there was more merchandise produced on this oh, show yeah. than any other. <laughs> and we would make personal appearances back in the day, back in the 80s, and sell that stuff. And so I had a little collection, too, of the, you know, the uh, TV trays and the, mm-hmm. the Halloween costumes and the jigsaw puzzles and the lunch boxes and all that Duke's Hazard stuff. Yeah. There were over a thousand different items. Wow. So I said, well, I'll start this little museum, and I'll sell T-shirts and hats and maybe, you know, Uncle Jesse's apple cider and mm-hmm. Daisy's apple butter and yeah, I'd make a, have a little music going, yeah. bluegrass music. So I did that. My wife, Alma, thought that was the craziest idea she ever heard. She says, but you go right ahead. You do that. <laughs> well, at first, our grand opening, about 3,000 people showed up. Wow. Only 6,000 people in the whole county, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it was, as always, it astonishes and amazes me, the popularity of this show. Mm. But... Folks just sort of liked it, and they wanted something like that. So that grew and grew, and then we started doing a thing called Duke's Fest, which grew and grew. We took it to Bristol Motor Speedway and drew 25,000 people. Then we ended up in Nashville, and according to the Nashville paper and the police force, there were about 100,000 people there over a couple of days. 
So they, and we're just a mom and pop operation. Yeah. Jeez. And what we do is we get the cast together. We'd have a lot of music, all the General Lees, and there are hundreds of them. Probably it's estimated over a thousand replica General Lees in the country. Wow. So and we had a couple of hundred of them at Nashville. We did bring the stunt guys and jump a car, but it just got too big. So we decided to kick back. And uh, John Schneider has the Duke's Fest thing now, and he did one in Atlanta that did okay. But a couple of years ago, we started to think, well, nobody's done anything for a while. So, And I, we don't really didn't want to get back into anything that grandiose and elaborate. Yeah, so we said, why don't we do something more laid back like we used to do? So last year, we did something called Hazard Homecoming. And a lot of folks came from all over, uh, just driving. It's just in the country. It's just on a farm. And um, I, I, we probably had 5,000 people each day, and it was, you know, it was real country. It was laid back. We had bluegrass music and, you know, a petting zoo and fireworks and lots of lots of wrestling and things like that. Yeah, old-fashioned type thing. Yeah, oh, kind of like an old county fair would yeah. be in Hazard County. But it was so delightful that, of course, everybody wanted us to do it again. So we're saying, well, this may be the last time, but... This year, our entire surviving cast is going to be there. Uh, John Schneider and Tom Wopat and wow. Catherine Bach and James Best and Sonny Shorey and Rick Hurst and myself. We're all going to be there, and that doesn't happen very often, even that we all get to see each other at right. once. So it'll be a very special reunion and homecoming for us. And, uh, though, of course, there'll be a huge car show with lots of General Lees and Roscoe's police cars and people build Daisy's Jeep and Cooter's tow truck and Boss Hogg's Cadillac. And, and we'll do the fireworks and have the wrestling and have lots of great music for a couple of days. Sounds like a lot of fun. This year we're having we're the, the, the sesquicentennial of the Civil War, and we're having a cavalry fight, a reenactment. Wow. Yeah, we do, and we just have a ball. Sounds, now this is now August. This is Hazard Homecoming, August 11th and 12th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the weekend of uh, it's a Saturday and Sunday, and uh, it, you, all this information is on CootersPlace.com with maps and you know who all's going to be there and the prices and it's very reasonable. Yeah. Kids ten and under are free. Seniors are free. Anybody comes driving up in a General Lee, of course, is free. Let them ride through and. Yeah. Uh, uh, active duty service folks are, are, are admitted free. and uh, On our website, we'll put a link so people can just click on it and go to Cooter's Place. Cooter'sPlace.com. And that also will tell you about all the other things we do, personal appearances that the kids yeah. are making and when we might be in their neck of the woods. And our new projects, I've got a new CD out, which is pretty good and getting a little bit of play. Wow. Yeah, we do all. We keep it going, Jeez, and I, that hasn't prevented me ever from doing other things. I've done lots of other films and yeah. TV shows, and uh, had a political career and singing that I love to do with Cooter's Garage Band. So you know, it's uh, it's been a good ride, Brian. That's great. Uh, I want to finish up with two final quick questions. Mm-hmm. One is a, they're both more of a personal note. As far as TV. When you sit down and watch TV, what are your favorite shows? Or, or what were your favorite shows of all time, the past shows? Boy, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, I, love, you know, but I, I don't watch a lot of primetime television anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do watch some of the, the miniseries, like the HBO things, uh, which are you know not PG-rated at all. Right, like yeah. Hazard, but 
uh, Sopranos and uh, Deadwood, I thought was a good, tough, well-made Western. Uh, I watch a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. I, I just, that's a, I can't have it. If it's a baseball game, I'm sitting there watching it. Mm-hmm. I still have that news that news thing going of, of politics and human interest and all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I keep up with current events and politics and government. And I can really keep, I'm a sports fanatic. Huh? But, uh, and I'll watch old movies a lot. Well, that's the other question. What, what are your favorite movies of all time? Well, I love a lot of the old westerns. I think, uh, and Clint, Clint Eastwood's The Unforgiven, not that old, but a great piece of filmmaking. It's a good film, yeah. And, uh, you know, High Noon, Shane, all the old classic westerns, The Wild Bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but uh, I guess my favorite movie of all time, hands down, is Casablanca. Ah. I've seen it maybe 30 times, and each time I, it's better than it was the time before. It's definitely a classic, yeah. Yeah, the, the classic, I think, is where the good ones get better. They stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like that. I think the Duke's Eyes is the classic. Right, yeah, that is. It's true. Yeah. So, Well, Ben, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and letting us know about the Hazard Homecoming. And we'll, like I say, we'll put a link on our site so people can turn around and click on it and get right to Cooter's Place and find out all the information for it, where to get tickets and everything. And it uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Well, uh, it is a lot of fun. I can guarantee you that. It is fun, if nothing else. And uh, it's very uh, reasonably priced fun. I think uh, the two-day ticket is $25. You know, it's a very affordable thing. And and with gas, you know, going down, we're expecting a whole lot of folks to come. And it's in one of the most beautiful settings in America, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, Ben. Have I talked to you into coming yet, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Ben Jones, Cooter from Dukes of Hazards and former U.S. congressman. I want to thank him so much for taking the time to talk to us and share those stories and let us know about the Hazard Homecoming that's coming up. If you go to onscreenbeyond.com, we have a link where you can get right to go to Cooter's Place and find out all the information, who's going to be there, what's going on. If you're in that area, be sure to check it out because it sounds like a lot of fun, a lot of family fun, and uh, just just go and have a great time because it uh, sounds like a good time. And let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay. If you want to get in touch with us or get in touch with me or whatever here at On Screen and Beyond, Email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and uh, I will get back to you. We'll also uh, take your suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear here at On Screen and Beyond. We'll do our best to get what we can uh, uh, get on here, and uh, we'll try our best. So, what else? If you're on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a little uh, rating or note, and, uh, you know, that way people hear about us and, you know, that's going to help us get more people to listen to On Screen and Beyond. We, we've got hundreds of thousands, but, uh, you know, hey, <laughs> more the merrier. And be sure to tell a friend. And uh, I'm sure if they go to onscreenandbeyond.com, in the 223 episodes that we have up there, I know they're going to find a guest that they are going to want to listen to and hear their great stories. And it's a lot of fun. And I hope you will continue listening to us each week. And I thank you for the emails that we've been getting. And uh, that's just about it. That's a a wrap for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. Next week, we have another fascinating guest coming your way, so I hope you'll join us then, because we will once again take you on screen and beyond. I'm Brian Zumrak.
Take care. Thank you.